This program is made possible by the support of the members of the show. For details or to sign up, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, Le Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Progressive, The Young Turks, The Bugle, Real Time with Bill Maher, and Countdown with Keith Olbermann, with a special bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Nation, we have all been horrified by this oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, but I am happy today to report there is finally some good news from BP. Jim? A risky attempt to plug that gushing well in the Gulf of Mexico recovers from a major snag. Workers free a saw that got stuck while cutting the damaged pipe. They got their saw back! (laughs) I was worried because it was a really nice saw. It had diamonds on it. They chose it for the occasion because, like a diamond, this oil spill is forever. And getting that saw blade free allowed BP to cut through the undersea pipe, which means more good news. 20% more likely oil is spewing than was before because they've opened up the hole bigger. It's all part of BP's new strategy, draining the earth as fast as possible. And experts are estimating that the oil could continue leaking through Christmas, which means there's a good chance the hot holiday toy this year is going to be the clean-it-yourself egret. (laughs) And folks, just think of their faces. And folks, I gotta tell you, in the face of this strategy, I'm beginning to wonder just how committed the Obama administration really is to fixing this mess because they are dismissing the one bold solution that we know would work. As for the so-called nuclear option, literally, that's making the rounds on the web, detonating some sort of nuclear device near the oil well shaft, the Pentagon tells us no consideration, serious that is, being given to that idea at all. They say the nuclear option has never been on the table. Never on the table? The nuclear option is always on the table. Of course, we'll never use it, but it acts as a deterrent against that oil spill. And we already know it has chemical and biological weapons because it is them. Besides, nuking oil wells is proven technology. The Russians have used nukes to stop leaks like this five times already. Though to be fair, They also use nukes when they get locked out of their house. (laughs) And if you can believe it, if you can believe it, folks, an administration official actually said the nuke plan, quote, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, crazy awesome. (laughs) And we need awesome solutions to deal with this Kim Jong oil. (laughs) Sure, it's not guaranteed to work. And sure, no one knows how the radiation would spread or affect wildlife. And sure, it would violate international treaties, but come on. It would turn the bottom of the ocean to glass. How cool is that? <laughs> and if we nuked the seafloor and turned it to glass, we wouldn't have to do any more exploratory drilling. We could just see where the oil is. <laughs> Push the button, President Obama. This is no time to wave the white flag. For one thing, with all that oil, it's not gonna stay white for very long. But I will go down with this shit And I won't put my hands up and surrender
But first, if you are keeping score at home, today was the day we went from asking whether the Gulf of Mexico would survive the BP oil disaster to asking whether BP would survive the BP oil disaster. Check out the top of Britain's ITN News broadcast tonight. BP's share price tumbles as the Gulf disaster takes its toll on the oil giant's financial future. Today, BP's stock price in Britain cratered. It was the biggest one-day dive for BP's stock there in 18 years. It's already the worst oil spill in U.S. history, but this disaster has now turned into a financial one that's threatening the very existence of the British oil giant. If criminal charges are brought against BP, the financial penalties could be enormous. One reason why BP's share price tanked this morning, going down 15% in half an hour. BP, the company, ultimately lost 15% of its value in the London stock market today. The news for BP here in the U.S., not much better. BP stock sank as soon as the market opened in the U.S., and it never recovered. Their stock fell 15% here as well. We are in day 43 of this disaster. So why is this dramatic financial repercussion happening to BP now? Well, it's in part because over the weekend, BP announced that the top kill had failed. Oil continues to gush out of BP's leaking well in the Gulf of Mexico, unabated. Now that the top kill has been tried and failed, the company says it has some other tricks up its sleeve to stem that seemingly unending flow of oil, including another attempt at a containment dome, only they're now calling it cut and cap. That effort is underway right now. It should be noted that these new methods are no longer about actually stopping the flow of oil from the well. They're rather about sucking up as much oil as possible from the well as it continues to leak. BP appears to be conceding that they can't really stop the leak. The most likely scenario at this point is that the well will continue to gush until maybe August, when relief wells can hopefully reach the source of the leak. We'll have more on that in a moment with NBC's Ann Thompson. But this disaster is already an existential crisis for the Gulf of Mexico. The U.S. government is now raising the prospect that this ought to be an existential crisis for the company known as BP as well. As in, could this make BP disappear? The tools that the U.S. government has at its disposal to make a threat like that are for reals. This is not a theoretical discussion. As we speak, Democrats in Congress still trying to find a way to pass legislation to raise the liability cap for oil companies from $75 million to $10 billion. It's an effort that's been blocked by Republicans in the Senate three times so far. But if BP were to be found criminally liable for this spill, that cap wouldn't even apply anyway. And on that front, the Attorney General, Eric Holder, was dispatched to the Gulf Coast today, where he announced that the Justice Department has opened a criminal and civil investigation into the BP disaster. Our environmental laws are very clear, and we have a responsibility to enforce them, and we will do so. We will prosecute to the fullest extent of the law anyone who has violated the law. We will prosecute anyone who has violated the law. As far as determining whether any crimes were committed in this disaster, a senior Justice Department official tells NBC's justice correspondent Pete Williams tonight, quote, the simple fact that there's oil in the Gulf is evidence of a crime. There are all sorts of federal laws that BP could be on the hook for here, but there is one in particular that is worth keeping in mind as this disaster progresses. It might even be worth right-clicking it and saving it to your desktop to look at every day until this is all sorted out. It's called the Clean Water Act. 
Clean Water Act was passed by Congress in 1972. It has been amended a number of times since then. Among other things, the Clean Water Act gives the Environmental Protection Agency the power to seek civil penalties for each and every barrel of oil that leaks into U.S. waters. In this case, the Reuters news organization turned up what they call a, quote, little-known, seldom-applied clause in the Clean Water Act. According to EPA documents obtained by Reuters, the basic fine, according to the Clean Water Act, is $1,100 per barrel spilled. But if a federal court finds that gross negligence was behind the spill, that fine could rise to $4,300 per barrel spilled. $4,300 per barrel. Ready to do the math on the BP oil disaster? Federal officials now estimating that anywhere between 12,000 and 25,000 barrels of oil have been pouring into the Gulf of Mexico every single day since the end of April. If that rate continues until August, when the relief wells are complete, fingers crossed, the total amount that BP could be on the hook for just from the EPA, just for this one law, just for violating the Clean Water Act, could be as high as $10.7 billion. That would be if BP got slapped with the maximum fine. That would be $10.7 billion on top of all of the other cleanup costs, all of the economic injury claims from local businessmen, all of the liability to states for tourism lost, and whatever criminal charges the Justice Department turns up. And now you know why BP originally estimated that just 1,000 barrels of oil were pouring into the Gulf every day, a figure they later had to amend under duress up to 5,000 barrels a day. During that time, BP's CEO, Tony Hayward, tried to downplay the impact of the spill, saying the spill was, quote, relatively tiny compared with the very big ocean. He also said the entire environmental impact of the disaster would be, quote, very, very modest. After new revelations that it might actually be more like 12 to 25,000 barrels per day, BP's CEO now says there's, quote, no evidence of those plumes of oil underneath the surface of the ocean. He says it's just what you can see on the surface. Swear. That might be possible. Maybe it is. But given the history of all the different ways BP has lied or been wrong about these things, all of them coincidentally in the direction of there being less oil in the water and therefore less financial liability for the company, coincidentally, their credibility on this is now as sunk as their stock price is. The problem's rising faster than an overdose of yeast. It's the way that we depend on that bad old Middle East. Oh, it's full of sheiks and Shiites. It's hooked to keep things on the ball. Lord, I hate to say it, we're addicted to oil. Oh, Lord, I hate to say it, we're addicted to oil. Now, believe me when I tell you that addiction is no fun. It always seems to wind up with a foreigner and a gun. What can't we bring our problems home to? Native soil. Never gonna happen. We're addicted to oil. No, it's never gonna happen. Wow, we're addicted to oil. Just get me right. Don't get me wrong. See, there's a reason why I didn't see the truth for so long. Cause I'm an old man. kick the habit, sometimes it kicks back, so I'm not going to promise that we'll always stay on track, why have the turkey cold, 
set it to brawl. Can't say I don't love it. We're addicted to all. No one can say I don't love it. We're addicted to all. Fill her up, boys. Oh, that's crude. of corporate gall, BP's Tony Hayward will now hold a record that's going to be hard to beat. After his company killed 11 people on that rig and while his company was spilling tens of millions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, he had the audacity to say, what the hell did we do to deserve this? For starters, he didn't have a fail-safe shutdown mechanism in place, as is required by Norway, for instance, and he didn't dig a secondary well in case the first one blew, as is required by other countries. And his company cut corners with the deep water horizon and kept going when crew members were noting ominous signs such as leaking gas. So he and BP did a lot to deserve this, and his pity pot routine is not only unseemly for a grown-up, it's grotesque under the circumstances. Hayward said, I'd like my life back. Well, what about the lives of those who died on the rig? They'll never get them back, nor will their families, nor the shrimpers, nor the brown pelicans and the gannets and the cormorants. He wants his cushy life back? We want our Gulf of Mexico back. Speaking of BP, BP Chief Tony Hayward has apologized for telling reporters over the week last weekend that he'd like to have his life back. You know, the life where he cut short safety procedures and ignored the risks? That life. Uh, hey, speaking of which, does it occur to you after the uh, Wall Street implosion and the uh, thing in the Gulf that the one occupation this country either has too few people filling or the wrong people filling is risk assessment officer. Hayward, BP's chief executive officer, told reporters that there isn't any uh, last week that there isn't anyone who wants the company's oil spill crisis to end more than him and added, you know, I'd like my life back. He said it in the voice of the uh, Geico gecko. Yes, that's true. While that comment was preceded by an apology to all those impacted by the explosion and the growing oil spill, it provoked outrage, uh, 
by, among others, Congressman Charlie Melanson from this uh, area who called on BP to fire Haywood. But now Hayward issued this apology. I made a hurtful and thoughtless comment when I said that I wanted my life back. When I read that recently, I was appalled. I apologize, especially to the families of the 11 men who lost their lives. Those words don't represent how I feel about this tragedy, nor do these. Oh, sorry. And certainly don't represent the hearts of the people of BP, many of whom live and work in the Gulf, who are doing everything they can to make things right. My The rest of it they can buy time to put on TV. And they are. This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. When we return to BP, same issues, right? So is BP going to, out of the goodness of their heart, cover all the expenses uh, they possibly can? Well, it's been a mixed record so far. Uh, a lot of the businesses in the area, in the Gulf area, are complaining that BP is taking a very long time to resolve their claims against them. So, for example, one family says, look, we've got a fishing business. Uh, we've gone now a long time without any uh, revenue whatsoever. We've got two kids, and we're going to go bankrupt. If they don't come in and, like, we would have made X amount of money. It's very provable. We have the documents. The documents. And so can you please do this? Now, they're charging that BP is delaying things. Because the longer they delay, you know, the more they could drag things out, maybe not as pay as much, uh, et cetera. So um, now BP says, look, we've got a lot of claims. We're trying to pay them as back as quickly as possible. But obviously, we do need some documentation, which is true. And then you look at some of the particular claims, and the fishing guys are obvious. The tourism guys are fairly obvious. And then you got restaurants who sell shrimp and oyster, who are, of course, doing their businesses way, way down. At the same time, is BP responsible for that? I think that's an interesting question. Do you think BP won't take that to court to see what the courts think of that question? Of course they will, right? So a lot of people are going bankrupt as BP waits and waits in a lot of instances, okay? And so now when it comes to who should pay for it, now theoretically BP was saying, oh, no, 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 of course, we're going to cover the, the damages of the spill as long as they're reasonable, right? It's a giant, giant loophole. Now here comes the Chamber of Commerce, and they say, they put out this statement, quote, it is generally not the practice of this country to change the laws after the game. Now, that's Tom Donahue, the president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. He continues, everybody's going to contribute to this cleanup. We're all going to have to do it. We're going to have to get the money from the government and from the companies. We will figure out a way to do that. In other words, all of a sudden, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who is almost on every issue saying, get the government out. No, no, deregulate. Let the businesses handle it. And let us make the profits. No, government is bad. All of a sudden... They want to they, they do a man hug, hug it out, and hold hands and sing kumbaya. Oh, of course, we're all going to do it together. The cleanup, the cost, 
No, the profits we keep, you get out of that, okay? But the cost, no, obviously we do that together. The companies will chip in a little bit, but obviously the federal government should chip in, definitely, definitely. Shocking. All of a sudden, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a big fan of socialism. <laughs> when it picks up the tab, as they were when it picked up the tab with the banking fiasco. So now when you go and ask the Republicans, their representatives, right? Not your representatives, the representatives of these giant business interests. Um, John Boehner says, oh, first, let me tell you what he was asked. So there's no lack of clarity here. Uh, Brian Boitler uh, for uh, Talking Points Memo asked him, um, do you agree with Tom Donahue of the chamber that the government and the taxpayers should pitch in to clean up the oil spill? Very clear question. Here's what Boehner says. I think the pe people responsible in the oil spill, BP and the federal government, should take full responsibility for what's happening there. So when you ask John Boehner, hey, should the federal government get involved in making sure there's competition in health care? No, get the government out! Government out! How about banking? No, get the government out! No, no, no. I mean, well, of course, pay the bankers and then take the government out make sure you're deregulated. So, but when it comes to paying the cost of the oil spill, all of a sudden John Boehner thinks the federal government should get involved. Why? Because the people who pay his bills, the big donors, and the big lobbyists, told John Boehner, hey, bow your head. Go and make sure that we don't get stuck with the tab. Make sure the American taxpayer does. When he says federal government, what do you think he's, he's referring to? Why is he all of a sudden a big fan of the federal government? He's referring to your pocketbook. I'm telling you, man, if you're a conservative in the country and you think Republicans represent you, you're in for a rude awakening. That is not what is happening in the least bit. Update. Strike it mucky! It might seem odd, Andy, to uh, dedicate an entire top story to a single multinational corporation, but it's perhaps less strange when the corporation in question is responsible for one of the most horrific environmental disasters of all time, Andy. Of all time. They deserve their time in the spotlight. Let them enjoy it. The Gulf oil crisis has uh, relentlessly spewed into its 60th day now breaking environmental records left, right and centre. And this is looking like a disaster that could be very difficult to beat. BP has become the Usain Bolt of environmental catastrophes. And they've done it through a similar, single-minded determination to be number one. <laughs> the only difference between the two is the goal involved. For Bolt, it was traversing 100 metres in the quickest possible time. For BP, it was seeing how many fish it could get to float belly up off the coast of Florida. They've both succeeded beyond reasonable expectations, and one of them should be incredibly proud of himself. <laughs> well, maybe they could, they could, you know, having both achieved those goals, they could then try and challenge each other's records. <laughs> You'd well, yeah, see Tony idea. Hayward pelting it down an athletics track. 
good idea. And Usain Bolt's just pouring bottles of oil into the sea. Of course, uh, BP do have a safety and environmental blooper reel, almost as long as the chain of cricket bat moulds full of oil that we <laughs> yes. could be made from the leak, as we discovered uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you name it, when it comes to safety and environment, they've not done it, from not dumping hazardous waste in Alaska to not running their refineries well enough to stop them exploding, to not illegally manipulating the price of propane, to not being responsible for 97% of all oil refinery safety violations in America, and being described as having a serious systematic safety problem. These are all things BP haven't done. But yeah. And I guess set against that, they do have a nice corporate logo that makes it look like they give a shit about the environment. So I guess it all balances out when you think about it. It really does. Things. It's so friendly. It yeah. just makes it all confusing. Yeah. BP had previously made extremely confident claims, Andy, about what their safety team could handle, you know, regarding a uh, disaster such as this. Initially, they said the rig would never sink. Uh, they turned out to be wrong about that. Uh, then they said they could easily handle an Exxon Valdez-sized spill every single day. And turned out they were the opposite of right about that too. To be honest though, the warning signs were there. Because looking back, they had started sounding like a professional wrestler <laughs> shooting a fight promo. You cannot defeat us. We got 92,000 employees. We're ready for you. You don't scare us. Our rigs are unsinkable. Oil. I know you're watching, Oil. You can't hide offshore. We're coming for you, Black Stuff. We'll drill you out of the ground and pump you from the bottom of the ocean. What are you going to do? Leak out of a blown well on an unfathomable scale? I'd like to see you try. If you smell what BP is cooking. Wow. I think I made my point. I think you made your point, John. Beef Oil beef companies up. have never been the kind of corporations that you'd want dating your teenage daughter, Andy. <laughs> you, know, you can't trust them. And aside from, as you say, they're almost... Know, What's know. that? I don't know, you know, if... Uh, really? You know, if uh, Exxon would have, you know, if, uh, when Matilda's a bit bigger, you know... But, yeah. Stop you know, As long as they treated her right, John. Had her in by 9.30. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want this, Andy. You don't want to pursue this riff. Okay, right. Uh, <laughs> as you point out, apart from their almost sarcastic logos with variations on flowers, soft shapes and the colour green, they don't even pretend to be honourable anymore. Even the names of their rigs throw up red flags now. Chevron, this is true, have a rig in the Gulf called Chevron Blind Faith. <laughs> it's true. Someone actually suggested that name and a group of other people... Must have thought it was a good idea. Perhaps they were just trying to keep pace with the competing nearby platform Exxon Imminent Disaster. <laughs> uh, what's become clear is that BP's uh, response safety plans were almost comically terrible. BP's uh, actual Gulf of Mexico oil response safety manual mentions plans for protecting walruses, which sounds great, but for the fact that walruses haven't been in the Gulf of Mexico for around three million years. <laughs> But, you know, you can see what BP are trying to do there. It's good for confidence to get your first animal save under your belt. Yeah. You get into a rhythm that way. How many walruses have died due to this spill? None. Excellent. Well done, everyone. Let's call that an early lunch. <laughs> the manual also lists the uh, emergency contact phone number of a marine biology expert who has been dead since 2005. <laughs> Perhaps this is a visionary move from BP. And perhaps they're hoping the ghost of this man will swim down to plug the leak. Or perhaps they're just trying to improve understandably low office morale at the moment by conducting an elaborate practical joke on this man's widow who now has to handle hundreds of daily panicked phone calls asking for her dead husband. 
Well, you know, these things, these things, these things happen, John. These things happen. You know, if, if I mean, if, if, if any of us have never uh, released a statement saying that we will look after walruses in the uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, then, you know, we've got a leg to stand on. Yeah, good point, Jesus. Uh, but, um, well, BP have been accused of cutting corners. And I would say, well, you mentioned Jesus, I would say, what's wrong with that? Because that is basically what Jesus' entire career of miracles was based on. <laughs> you know, I can't be asked to go to the offy, what, say, I just do one of my magic tricks with these pots of water. <laughs> Abracadabra, Bulgarian Shiraz. <laughs> There's even been a live webcam set up called a spill cam. Right. And, uh, you can see the oil pumping out of the ground, and it's, it is both transfixing and unbelievably depressing. If anyone out there is looking for a screensaver that can make you question the point of getting up in the morning, this one is definitely for you. There have been some concerns in Britain over anti-British sentiment in America at the moment. Lord Tebbit, the uh, ex-Conservative Party chairman and current douche, uh, <laughs> accused Obama of, and I quote, a xenophobic display of partisan political presidential petulance. Nice before, work, Tebbit. <laughs> before presumably toweling off the person he was talking to who'd spent the previous <laughs> sentence being spat at. Well, I guess, you know, when you get to Tebbit's age, you do have trouble controlling your peas. <laughs> also, uh... London Mayor and professional buffoon Boris Johnson complained that the United States was unleashing a wave of anti-British rhetoric. But even if that is true, Andy, our company did do this. Let's remember that. How do you think the American rhetoric would be if uh, McDonald's had spilled three and a half billion hamburgers off the Dover coast? <laughs> it might lean a little toward the negative. We said, but, you know, John, of the BP shareholders, it's almost exactly the same amount of British and American, you know, 40% British. I think 39% mm -hmm. American. So I right. think we should have an equal amount of anti-American rhetoric. OK. I want to see, if Obama is the democracy fan he says he is, <laughs> he should be sticking it to his own team as well. <laughs> but, um, I mean, how... That, how would only, that would only have been fractionally less popular than the speech he gave. <laughs> how strong is this anti-British sentiment? Because from... I think the media have, have sort of talked it up uh, yeah. here in Britain, because it does seem, from what I've read in some of the papers, that we might as well just have booked a cheap air ticket to Hawaii, dressed up like a Japanese aeroplane and dived into the <laughs> harbour shouting kaboom. It's, it's not that strong. <laughs> uh, BP CEO Tony Hayward uh, got to do what all masochists dream of when they're little kids, appear before Congress as the personification of a company. And uh, he surprisingly, well, he's, uh, unsurprisingly, went with the rope-a-dope strategy, keeping his defence of either forgetfulness or non-involvement high and close to his face. There were numerous areas where he denied any expertise whatsoever, saying at uh, different points, I am not a cement engineer, and I am not a drilling engineer, and then later, <laughs> I am not an oceanographic scientist. <laughs> he'd, been, he'd been learning English out of a phrase book. <laughs> he was, it was like it was all a game of accusatory guess who. OK, OK, Tony, uh, are you a rigs technician? <laughs> no, I am not a rig technician. OK, let's get rid of that. Oh, I've got it. Tony, are you an arsehole? Oh, you got it. I am indeed an arsehole. But um, his efforts were considered somewhat evasive, which is perhaps not a great surprise, given his tendency to give indirect answers, which goes back a long way. And here at the Bugle, John, we've gained uh, exclusive access to the National Educational Archives here in Britain and found Tony Hayward's O-level history exam. And it goes like this. Question one. <laughs> Describe how the Norman superior military tactics won the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Answer, that is not for me to speculate. <laughs> that is a matter for the Normans and any surviving relatives of the late King Harry. <laughs> I was not involved on either side in the battle and therefore was not involved in the decision-making process. 
Question two. Explain how the after-effects of the financial crisis caused by tulip mania in 17th century Holland affected the economic development of Europe over the next 100 years. Answer. It would be irresponsible of me to answer, <laughs> answer this question without first speaking to some Dutch people who were alive in the 1630s. And if they liked flowers so much, who am I to criticise them? Question three. Analyse why the Liberal Party declined as a political force in early 20th century Britain. No, none of your business. Get out of my face. <laughs> off. Question four. Outline the arguments for and against the use of the atomic bomb to end the war in Japan. My boy lollipop, do-do-do-do, you make my heart go giddy-up. So that's it. So he's got previous jobs. I guess that's what I'm saying. And there was a, this interesting thing that um, uh, Congressman Joe Barton... Is he a congressman or senator? Uh, I believe he's a congressman. All right. They're basically the same as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, they're not, but push on. I mean, basically the same, aren't they? They're just people sitting in a building saying stuff. Anyway, uh, he said uh, he got in trouble for um, basically apologising to, to BP. I'm ashamed yeah. of what happened in the White House yesterday. He said, I think it's a tragedy in the first proportion that a private corporation can be subjected to what I would characterise as a shakedown. In this case, a $20 billion shakedown. <laughs> and um, uh, interestingly, you know, for these, these comments... He got, well, I mean, he got quite roundly slammed for it. Turned out also he'd received almost $150,000 in donations from an oil company that is a partner of BP in the Gulf. Uh, so, um, it's understandable. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. First up, he's an explorer, environmentalist, and CEO of the nonprofit Earth Echo International. Philippe Cousteau is right over here. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Right there. Okay. I, uh, I expected you to have a, a French accent. No, no. Actually, this is coming home for me. Oh. My mother was from Redondo Beach. I was born in Red Santa Monica. Oh. <laughs> how disappointing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you know why you're here. You've wiped off the oil and the mud. A little bit, I, yeah. You were just down there. And, and before we get to that, because it is so depressing, and we just had a very funny monologue, and uh, <laughs> to go from that to depressing, that, you know, they'd get the bends, <laughs> like in your business. It's true. I joke, of course. But uh, the Cousteau name, you know, is, uh, I, I would say, of all the names in the world that would be perfect for word association, you know, you say that word, Cousteau, but everybody thinks right away, ocean. Your grandfather, right? Yeah. Was Jacques Cousteau. He was. Your father was? Philippe Cousteau Sr. Right. Both in the ocean. You were raised on land. Mostly. Mostly. Did you ever consider anything else, or is this something that just is in your family? Well, you know, Bill, I, I uh, actually, when I was little, I wanted to be a fireman. 
But uh, as I got older, no, I mean, you know, you get to travel, you get to explore the world, meet amazing people. Uh, and fish. And fish as well, and mammals, you know, dolphins and things. Um, no, I think that uh, it's the best job. And, and you just got back from the Gulf. We saw the picture. I saw you on TV down there. Uh, it's pretty gross in that water. Um, I know Obama said yesterday, he stressed over and over again that the federal government was in charge. Does it look like they're in charge? Does it look like anybody's in charge? It's getting better. You know, I was down in Grand Isle, Louisiana about, uh, what, three days ago now, working with some folks in, in wildlife and fisheries from the state of Louisiana. And, uh, you know, what I was hearing on the ground was a lot of frustration that for about a month, you know, we're into, what, 38 days now, 39 days, for about a month, uh, nothing was happening. And it took the, the, the Jefferson Parish down there, some of the authorities, to commandeer the equipment from BP and the contractors to start doing something. Because the oil is starting to come in. They're doing now they're, they're trying to. It's a little bit li you know, a little, I, little too late, though. I hear this uh, on uh, the right-wing uh, media outlets that the ocean is so vast. And I, I've heard the phrase, it will take care of itself. That's bullshit, right? Yeah, absolutely. of course. Of course. Yeah, I mean, listen. They, you, I, I you, thought it's so. It's a perfect word. You know, it's... it's uh, bullshit. It's bullshit. Listen. <laughs> you know, I could cut my leg off. I could cut my arm off. I could gouge an eye out. I'd still probably survive, but not very well. And that's what we're doing to the oceans. It's the life support system of this planet. We've been dumping in it. We've been polluting it. We've been destroying it for decades. And we're, we're essentially maiming ourselves. What is the tipping point? I mean, I, I, I don't know how. I mean, we had a spill like this, obviously, the Exxon Valdez. There was a, a even worse one in Mexico right in 1979. Talk, yeah. What, what, it, what, where, I mean, where that was all those years ago, did that come back, that area of Mexico? Well, I mean, you know, it's... it's Do these areas ever come back? That's the question. I mean, that's the issue, Bill. It's, you know, the, the, the Florida Keys, third longest barrier reef in the world, is a dead zone. Uh, you know, 90% of the big fish, the tuna, the sharks, and other things, are already gone in the oceans. There's a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico every summer the size of New Jersey where there's not enough oxygen for things to live. So it's not a question of can the oceans take any more. The oceans can't take any more. They couldn't take any more 50 years ago. The question is, when are we going to stop? Um, like I said, you know, I'll survive without a leg and an arm and an eye and all these kinds of things, but it's not going to be pretty. I mean, that's what we're doing to the oceans. It's not a case, can they take any more? They can't take any more. And um, this plastic issue, I mean, you know, global warming kind of sucks up all the oxygen on environmental issues. Um, but this stuff is, is just as likely to kill us, right? I mean, we talked about this on the show before. There is something the size of Texas in the middle of the Pacific that is just a, an amalgamation of all the plastic that we dispose of that never, it's not biodegradable. No. It's currents that come together and bring all this, uh, this marine debris, as we call it, a lot of it being plastic, into a, a central area that's larger than the state of Texas in the Pacific. And no, it's not biodegradable. breaks down to smaller and smaller pieces. But, you know, that's a petroleum product, Bill. So it's all related. It's all related. I mean, it's oil-based. And, and the, to me, the most depressing part of it is that people just don't give a shit. They really don't. I mean, even now, the people in the Gulf Coast areas, they're not against drilling. Some of them are. But even after this has happened. I mean, I, I don't know what hope there is if you can't get people... Uh, behind an effort to do something. I don't know what they think that's going to happen. Do they think that there's going to be some technological breakthrough? 
Is that possible? They think that there's going to be a, an app from Apple that's going to be able to... <laughs> an, an iPhone app to fix the oil spill. Clean this nice. up or, uh, nice. you know, a, a giant vacuum cleaner. Um, you know, I think that uh, um, there's the reality that the oil industry employs a lot of people in the Gulf. Mm. What people, you know, and, and I spoke to some folks on the ground in Alabama, and I remember a young lady saying to me, you know, I really thought that if there was going to be a spill, if something was going to happen the oil companies would be there to fix it. They would know how to fix it. I think we're putting a little bit too much faith in, in big business right now and in, in thinking that they have all of our best interests at heart. And that may not be the case. You know, and the fact that she was surprised about this surprised me. And I think that uh, uh, we need to realize that the bottom line and quarterly profits that would draw, you know, drive a lot of things. And they got a great deal, Bill. You know, we got these oil companies that extract all these, these, this oil and gas uh, from the natural resources, Gulf of Mexico, wherever, and um, then they charge us a certain amount of money to consume them, and they don't really have to pay for that whole product. You got kids with asthma in this country. We have environmental pollution. There's no way BP is going to be able to pay for all of this pollution in the Gulf of Mexico. It's going to last for decades and decades, decades and decades. Taxpayers will be paying for this. So it's great. They got a subsidized product. Socialism gets thrown a lot yeah, that in this word, country, yes. right? That word gets thrown around a lot. Well, we're, as taxpayers in this country, subsidizing major businesses that are making billions and billions of dollars right. every quarter. Right. They never really pay back the They never pay society. for the full cost of that product. We what? end up paying for that, and that's the problem. I've heard... Last question, I'll let you go, but... I've heard... That uh, it's, you know, because of global warming, perhaps, that this is one of the warmest uh, seasons now in the Gulf, which is going to mean a lot of hurricanes and big ones. Is that going to be good for this or bad for this? I heard one scientist say, a hurricane? Sure, that's going to be good. It's, it's, it's nature's way of cleaning stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I was diving into oil and, and chemical mixture, what, earlier this week. And it, there's nothing good about it. You know, with the hurricanes coming through this fall, uh, it's just going to make things worse. But, I, you know, I don't want to leave things in doom and gloom, though. And I think that, you know, do people care? I have to say one thing, that I spend time, my nonprofit work with young people across the country. I probably have spoken and presented to 100,000 young people by the end of this year. They are fired up. They are engaged. They care. We have a whole new generation out there that wants to make a positive difference in this world. And I think there's any hope it lies with them. that corporations are people, BP is, of course, a convicted criminal now. And although any criminal investigator will tell you the importance of preserving the scene of the crime and any evidence, in this case, the scene of the crime is being managed by the convicted criminal, who just happens to be suspect number one this time out as well. 
So the shocker in our fourth story, it looks as if someone is destroying evidence at the scene of the crime. Despite BP's claim of openness, the public beaches are still being run like private ones. Virtually every media outlet by now has its own story of access denied. WDSU in New Orleans being told on camera that workers could not speak even after BP executives denied anyone had such orders. KHOU talking to a BP operator in Houston who calls the spill hotline a diversion to stop callers from getting through, claiming, though BP denies this, that other operators do nothing with the calls. Quote, they just type blah, 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 no information, just blah, blah, blah. Almost from the beginning, this news hour has reported on claims that the aerial dispersants might do more for BP's image than they do for the water, dispersion of oil, not the equivalent of disappearance of oil, and the deployment of booms in the Gulf also criticized for the improper execution of that deployment, including by some veterans of the Exxon Valdez spill. Veterans who remember full well that Exxon's then CEO promised that those communities too would be helped. Well, behind the scenes, he was audio taped saying he didn't care whether the booms contained the oil, he just wanted of the pictures of them in the water. We're joined now by one of those Valdez veterans, marine biologist Ricky Ott, who at the time worked in commercial fishing in Alaska. She joins us tonight from Pensacola, Florida. Great thanks for your time tonight. You're welcome. Good evening. You have been traveling the coast since this happened. Can you tell us your experiences and what you're hearing from people there? The experiences mirror across three different states now, four actually, including Florida. People are getting headaches, sore throats, nausea, dizziness, snuffy noses. These are people, these are surfers, these are turtle watch volunteers, these are the spill response workers, identical across four states. And we have BP still maintaining that these people do not need respirators, either on their cleanup or in the communities. That's one thing. Another thing is that the people, especially the turtle watch volunteers, who walk the beaches consistently every morning at 6 a.m., they're saying the carcasses are disappearing. People who walk the beaches at night, they've seen little baby dolphins wash up dead, flashlights, people descend out of nowhere, carcass gone in 15 minutes. There's reports from offshore of massive kills on the barrier islands from fishermen who have been working on the, uh, the spill response. And the, what BP's response has been is to use metal detectors to keep and prevent the people from even taking cell phones out to photograph this. We've had lat longs, we've flown pilots out, carcasses gone. So, uh, and also now we have reports of emails that anything to do with carcasses, they are disappearing from people's servers. None of this is being captured on, on videotape. In other words, if there is an attempt to suppress this, you're suggesting there's a, both an attempt to suppress this and also a very effective attempt to suppress this information and these images. Absolutely. Uh, images are evidence. Uh, carcasses are evidence. These were under lock and key. Exxon Valdez, NOAA did the collection, a federal agency. Um, and here what we see are people, I've been able to get some pictures um, of BP raking up bird carcasses, separating heads from bodies. Supposedly, NOAA is saying, oh, these carcasses are all going to be autopsied so we can determine cause of death. You're not going to autopsy a carcass where the head is removed from the body. So, in my opinion, uh, there's a very uh, strong attempt not only to control and minimize how much oil um, it was spilling, but now to control the evidence of the damage um, the appearance of carcasses, and you have sick wildlife, you have sick workers, 
it's the oil that's making this problem. We need Obama to stand up and order respirators on all the response workers now to avert a human tragedy. On the premise that that all this is being done, and you're certain this is the, the things that you have seen are being done by BP and not by NOAA at BP's instructions or local police at BP's instructions, whichever the formula is, what is there? What is the evidence that that uh, that you can present to support your your claim? I put uh, several photographs on Huffington Post uh, of literally a bird's head and a rake and the head being separated. Um, we are. Um, I can get pictures of the early the raked beaches in the morning from the Turtle Watch volunteers. Um, I'm also going to ask people to start taking pictures of their skin rashes and blisters. This is coming in from surfers now and from um, the Turtle Watch volunteers as well as the workers. In response to this, Tulane University is uh, deploying a mobile uh, medical unit to the uh, Venice area. And also we're working with physicians for social responsibility um, to come in all five of the Gulf Coast states. And right now what they're doing is counseling medical doctors because this is not like mm. an ordinary headache or flu. This is, you know, chemical poisoning, very likely. Um, it's not just tar balls that are washing ashore in moose. It's the invisible oil, the, the underwater plume that's coming ashore. It's surface oil and it's also these vapors. There's five forms of oil. Uh, that's coming, you know, onto these communities and that the workers are experiencing. So we've, we've actually have a team of physicians that believe us and they're down here um, and Tulane University as well. From CPR, Continental Public Radio, time now for another visit with Sir Nigel Froude, the petroscience dude. Hello, Ira. Hello, boys and girls. Nigel, this week looks like you've built a whole chemistry set over here. <laughs> Not quite. Just a few really uh, remarkable demonstrations to show how man works in the conditions a mile down below the surface of the ocean. Well, down. <laughs> Let's see. That. If I remember my math, that's more than 5,000 feet. Spot on, Ira. Uh, now, th this thing over here looks like some kind of distillation apparatus. I remember that from our show on cracking hydrocarbons. Well, you've got a memory like a blowout, Professor Rara. <laughs> and in fact, this apparatus is a simple version of a, of a blowout, Preventer. <laughs> this array down here is producing fluid under 2,000 pounds per square inch of pressure. Well, that's the ambient pressure a mile down. Oh, you've studied your cue cards well, young man. <laughs> and you see, that's the fluid that's colored blue. <laughs> uh, now, the distillation apparatus will act as a conduit as we supply high-pressure fluid, the green fluid, mm -hmm. in the opposite direction, that is, down, to stop the blue stuff. 
And we'll see that happen right through this glass tube. Indeed. Uh, now I'll just hit the button. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I'll hit it again. Seems to be functioning suboptimally. Might be a short in this. Uh, are you all right, Ira? <laughs> yes. I, you know, I was wondering why you were wearing those goggles. Uh, gift from me, none. Mm. Oh, all right, let's uh, let's go over to this uh, next demonstration. Wow, that's the biggest pair of scissors I've ever seen. Well, uh, uh, technically, Ira, they're shears, mm. and uh, this robot over here mm. is built to use those shears a mile down to cut through metal pipe. Oh, that's a real robot, mm -hmm. like. Uh, like the one that cleans your carpet? <laughs> Even more scientific than that. Now, I'll just power up the robot. And watch it wield those mm. massive... Oh, uh, we're stuck. Hmm. Were the shears too heavy for you? I, I think the interns brought the clumsy robot prototype. That's for a totally different project. Mm -hmm. Well... <laughs> That brings us, I should think, to, uh, to our final demonstration this week, how a tabletop-sized nuclear explosion a mile down can seal a lake. Ah, uh, oops, this is Pledge Week for some of our stations, so for now, that'll be goodbye from me, Ira Zipkin. And from me, Nigel Fruit, the Petroscience Dude. Funding for this program came from Brutish Petroleum, lubricating your world. This is CPR. I love digging in the dirt With just a pick and brush Finding fossils is my aim So I'm never in a rush I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives as it reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Moves so quickly on its feet It's like pieces of a puzzle That I love to try and solve It's so fun to think about How a species has evolved And all the kids Who want to see them Can check them out Do you remember a little group called ACORN? The Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now? ACORN was a community organizing group that was in some ways a lifeline to low-income families looking to get help finding a job or trying to find a home or trying to get some affordable health care. In many communities, ACORN was the group for the lowest income folks to turn to for help with issues like that. And I'm using the past tense here. I'm saying was rather than were or is uh, because ACORN no longer exists. ACORN no longer exists in large part because of this because of a series of undercover so-called sting tapes filmed by a pair of conservative activists last year. Tapes that supposedly showed Acorn engaged in all sorts of criminal activity. Acorn was ultimately cleared of any wrongdoing at some of the offices shown in those tapes. But after the heavily edited tapes were peddled to Fox News and run there on a constant loop week after week after week, the damage for this little community organizing group that could was already done. 
Acorn became the prime target for conservatives across the country. Republicans in Congress led the charge against Acorn. They launched a sustained, self-righteous, vituperative campaign to end all public funding of Acorn. We need a thorough investigation of Acorn and why they have been authorized to get up to eight and a half billion dollars in taxpayers money we've had enough of these people and we darn sure don't want to pay for them we don't want to pay them to go out and break the law we've got more work to do and that's why house republicans are renewing efforts to defund acorn once and for all who has consistently called for the cleanup of the corrupt acorn the criminal enterprise acorn and all of their affiliates it's been people on the Republican side of the aisle that have done that. Acorn receives an outrageous 40% of its funding from hardworking taxpayers. This must stop. That's why we are fighting to defund this political machine. Defund this political machine. Defund Acorn once and for all. That was the Republican call to action over and over and over again, and that's exactly what happened. The result of all that bluster was the Defund Acorn Act of 2009, introduced by Republican Minority Leader John Boehner, a bill that prohibited the federal government from awarding contracts, grants, or any other federal funds to Acorn. Defund Acorn legislation passed the House and the Senate was eventually signed into law by President Obama. And what followed was a race among federal agencies to see who could end their contracts with Acorn the fastest. President Obama's budget director, Peter Orzag, fired off this memo to all departments and agencies. Quote, no agency or department should obligate or award any federal funds to ACORN or any of its affiliates. If your agency has an existing contract or grant agreement with ACORN, immediately suspend performance of any obligations. After that memo went out, the Defense Department called for the suspension of payments and subawards and subcontracts to ACORN and its affiliates. Then there was this announcement from the U.S. Census Bureau a month earlier, quote, we are today terminating our partnership agreement with ACORN. And it wasn't even just the federal government. States tried to get in on the political act, too. Republican Governor Tim Pawlenty of Minnesota, quote, I am directing you to stop all state funding to ACORN. Of course, there wasn't any Minnesota state funding of ACORN at the time, but Mr. Pawlenty decided to make a big show of pretending there was anyway. In Louisiana, Governor Bobby Jindal issues order ending funding of ACORN. Again, it was not like Louisiana was funding ACORN at the time, but the backlash against the group was so strong that Governor Jindal could not resist pretending like he was rescinding state funding, even though that funding didn't exist in the first place. ACORN was public enemy number one. Thanks to mostly Republicans in Congress, there was a universal uprising against ACORN. These are bad people. They must be defunded. They must be driven out of business. And the Republicans who pushed for this thing got their wish. It was April 1st of this year when ACORN announced once and for all that it had shut all of its offices. April 1st. Flash forward 19 days to April 20th of this year. And the BP-leased Deepwater Horizon oil rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico. Eleven workers are killed. Two days later, that rig sinks to the bottom of the ocean, setting off an environmental disaster unparalleled in American history. Quite literally, the worst environmental disaster this country has ever seen. What unfolds over the next few days is the story of a company that is, if not criminally responsible for this disaster, which I'm guessing they probably are, then there's something pretty close to it. 
Official documents filed with the federal government containing clear falsehoods in them, false disaster response plans, false estimates of worst-case scenarios, false statements of the company's capacity for dealing with a major problem. Witnesses start showing up, talking about shortcuts taken by BP on that rig, shortcuts that seem to have led to the disaster. Blatantly inaccurate low-ball estimates given by BP repeatedly about the amount of oil being spilled into the Gulf day after day. Now it is BP that has become public enemy number one. But it's not because of some political witch hunt or some fraudulent, misleading political stunt cooked up for Fox News or for anyone else. BP is publicly, public enemy number one because, because of this. Because look at what they've done. What they can't fix. What they lied about. What they're still doing. Look at it. When Republicans took down ACORN, this supposedly giant, democracy-crippling criminal enterprise, ACORN. ACORN was receiving essentially pennies in federal dollars. According to reports at the time, ACORN had received, in total, about $53 million in federal funds since 1994. $53 million over 15 years. Right now, at this very moment, BP gets billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in federal contracts. If you go to usaspending.gov, you can find all of the different contracts that BP has with the, with the federal government. Nine billion dollars in contracts with the Defense Department. 2.6 million dollars in contracts with the Veterans Affairs Department. 2.2 million dollars with the Transportation Department. Another three million dollars in contracts with various other government agencies. So let's hear those calls from the Crusaders in Congress to immediately end all of those contracts, right? to stop funding BP. We've had enough of these people and we darn sure don't want to pay for them. We don't want to pay them to go out and break the law. That uh, wasn't about BP. That of course was about ACORN. Taking federal money and breaking the law. You go get them, Congressman John Carter. For the record, 11 rig workers were killed at BP's oil well in the Gulf of Mexico two months ago. In 2005, 15 workers were killed at a BP oil refinery explosion in Texas. BP has chalked up criminal violation after criminal violation in Alaska, earning them a $20 million fine from the Justice Department just recently in 2007. If the hoax undercover pimp and hoe video on Fox News was enough to defund ACORN immediately and forever, what does BP have to do to get the same treatment? Republicans were basically tripping over themselves to bury ACORN last year, to put them out of business. Now they are lining up behind BP. At least some of them are. Last week, Dick Cheney's former campaign spokesperson signed on to become BP's new head of U.S. media relations. Today, there are reports that President Bush's former chief of staff, Josh Bolton, has also signed on to help advise BP through this crisis. And by crisis, he means their PR crisis. Republican members of Congress are doing their level best as well to help out BP in BP's time of need. Republican Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and James Inhofe of Oklahoma have both blocked efforts in the Senate to raise BP's financial liability after this disaster from $75 million to $10 billion. Today, Republican House Minority Leader John Boehner, the top Republican in the House, John Boehner of defund or acorn fame, the guy who introduced the defund acorn legislation, John Boehner backed a Chamber of Commerce effort to force taxpayers, to force you and me to help pay for BP's oil disaster. 
because heaven forbid they re be responsible for it themselves. After a huge uproar over those comments today, John Boehner, late in the day, had to walk those comments back. Here's Republican Congressman Don Young of Alaska and his take on the BP oil spill. This is not an environmental disaster. And I will say that again and again because it is a natural phenomenon. Oil has seeped into this ocean for centuries. We'll continue to do it. This an environmental disaster? No. Did you hear about acorn though? This year, in the wake of the big defund ACORN effort, ACORN has received exactly zero dollars in federal contracts. Count them, zero dollars. So far this year, and it's only June, BP has received $837 million in federal contracts. I'm not saying that I want ACORN to get back any of its piddling little federal contracts. I've said it before on this show, I will say it again. They were definitely an imperfect organization. But the Republican argument in favor of defunding ACORN last year was essentially, this isn't a witch hunt. This isn't about prohibiting federal money from going to an organization that doesn't have political aims that we want. This is about prohibiting federal funds from going to an organization that's committed fraud and worse. As the BP oil disaster inches toward its two-month anniversary, as the Justice Department continues its criminal investigation into the company, as more evidence comes out detailing BP's negligence in the disaster itself, and we all every day watch the failure of the sad excuse for a cleanup afterwards, how many of the self-righteous defund ACORN crusaders do you think would get on board for the Defund BP Act of 2010? Thanks for listening, everyone. So uh, by total coincidence, uh, in recent uh, days or weeks, I've had a couple of particularly uh, controversial shows, at least, you know, ones that I thought would be controversial. Uh, you know, first, the um, the episode about religion with a record number of swears uh, followed uh, up closely with an episode that dealt with the Israel-Palestine blockade issue. In which I speculated that um, I, I may may possibly be uh, called an anti-Semite for the first time in my life. So I, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a follow-up on these, just so you kind of know uh, how things went. Uh, first of all, I've not yet been called an anti-Semite, so I'm going to chalk that up as a win for uh, for the listening audience. However, there was one person who said that they were just very much on the cusp of donating to the show uh, who then decided not to because they uh, wished that I would get more of an education on the topic and I suppose once I've educated myself then I will have earned their donation. That, that's about the extent of the feedback I got on that show. Um, for those of you who, who listen for a while, you know I, I really don't get that much feedback so like one email is kind of a big deal. So moving on the, onto the religion episode. Uh, I, there was a little bit of feedback to that. The one that I think is notable, someone wrote on the on the blog, in the comments on the blog, they identified themselves as an atheist and yet uh, said that they would stop listening to this show because the, reli the religion episode was uh, juvenile, idiotic, it crossed the line into poor taste, and they finished their note by, uh, by saying bad form to me for, uh, for producing that show. 
So that, that was the most notable uh, negative feedback, except for, you know, I, it may have actually been the only negative feedback. So don't get me wrong. Everyone else uh, who, who bothered to comment said something along the lines of, thanks for staying brave. Episodes like this are why I love this show and so on and so on. So that's always appreciated. But anyways, that is uh, essentially the roundup of the uh, the harsh backlash that I've had recently, which um, is above and beyond by leaps and bounds uh, anything else I usually get because I usually don't get any uh, backlash or, uh, or forelash of any kind. So that's that. I want to thank a couple of members who make this show possible, of course. Now, Craig R. is an interesting character. He signed up uh, back on April 12th. And, uh, and even went above and beyond and uh, signed up for a monthly membership, but uh, above the, the base rate for members, um, but asked that I not mention his name, Craig R. Uh, and instead of mentioning his name, Craig, uh, he asked that I, that I thank the Reasonable Doubts podcast instead, because he felt that the listeners of this show would also be very interested in what's going on over at the Reasonable Doubts podcast. They deal primarily with uh, being skeptical about religion. And so he wanted to make sure, uh, Craig did, that uh, that the Reasonable Doubts podcast got a shout out on my show instead of him being thanked because he wanted to reach out and, uh, and support this other show that he likes. So there you go. And then secondly, Jennifer B. signed up for her membership on May 8th, went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. Huge thanks to Jennifer, Craig, the Reasonable Doubts podcast, every single member who's ever signed up, anyone who's ever donated to the show. You guys are seriously what makes this possible in its current form. Without the support of the members, you would all be getting about less than half of the number of episodes that you currently enjoy. So keep that in mind. If you're interested in signing up, obviously you know by now, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. So that's going to do it for today. Please continue to support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. It's so easy and so helpful to stay connected between the shows. Sign up on Facebook or Twitter and follow everything that's going on in those two places. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, check all of that out always in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Of course, thanks only to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every 
everything. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.